Uh, my name is Greg, and I've been preaching here for the past several months. Uh, and we, uh, as you heard earlier, have just announced Mesa's new preaching minister will be joining this congregation uh, the first week in June. So lots of work, lots of prayers, lots of energy, lots of time, and to God be the glory, right, through all of it uh, for his good and perfect will being realized in this place. Um, when I preached my first sermon here, there were two key themes that we began this process with. The first was that we really, really spent a lot of time focusing on you as a congregation, preparing your hearts to hear the call of God uh, on your next preaching minister, but also on you as a church as you uh, prepared for uh, God working through your search team and through your elders and through recommenders and others to show us who that individual uh, ultimately would be. And praise God, uh, to his glory, we've done, we've done that. And I also encourage you throughout the process to intentionally and uh, often look and strive for the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and I think you've done that. And I think you're beginning to see the fruit uh, of being people who are growing in Christ serving in love, and I think that's just going to happen more and more and more here as the months and years roll by. So a question before us this morning is, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Well, practically speaking, uh, I'm with you today, and then I am with you next Sunday, and then I will begin a new work in Houston, Texas, uh, which means all my airline points are about to disappear, okay? So, uh, but that's okay. I'll be driving to my next work, but that's all right. That's a good thing. Uh, I'm going to miss you, um, but I'm also so excited. I got to tell you, last Sunday when the gills were here, I was in the back just kind of watching everything. I felt like a dad in the maternity ward. That's how I felt. <laughs> And we actually talked about it at a dinner last week. It was like, hey, this search took nine months. And I'm like, yep, that's about right, you know. And uh, we birthed this baby, and here we are. We're, uh, we're excited, and so we praise the Lord for that. Uh, but uh, I'm just so grateful and just so thankful. So I'll be with you today, be with you next Sunday. I am with you today. We'll be with you next Sunday. Some of you, I think, are on spring break. Can I get a hallelujah, students? Yeah, that's a good thing, right? So uh, you're on spring break. Some of you I probably will not see next Sunday. Some of you probably will be traveling and out and about, but uh, we'll be back. I don't know when. We'll, we'll pop back sometime just to say hi, just to check on things and see how you're doing. Uh, if we're able to be here uh, that first Sunday, you welcome Jeremy. Great. If not, we'll try to be here sometime shortly after that. But uh, this is uh, not, a, not a goodbye in the never see you again kind of sense. This is just a farewell. We'll, we'll bump into you somewhere else down the road. Um, theologically speaking, I want to do something this morning that I hope will be meaningful to you as a church this Sunday and next Sunday. And that is just really to prepare the way for what I believe lies ahead for you as a church and uh, help you as a congregation set yourself up so that the kingdom can increase here, but also set Jeremy and Tammy up for a long, long tenure, a long tenure. I would love to see him become a gray-haired brother in this place, right, uh, after being here for many, many years. So we're going to turn our attention to 2 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. We're only going to focus on a handful of verses. 
We're going to be in First uh, and Second Timothy this week, and First uh, Second Timothy and Titus next week, and I'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a bit. But we start in Second Timothy. I just want to first speak the text, and then we'll unpack it a little bit this morning as we're in the Word of God together. Paul is writing to a young minister. His name is Timothy. This is what Paul tells him. In the presence of God and in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience, careful instruction. Because the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, instead, to suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from truth, turn aside to myths. But you, young Timothy, you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, let's talk a little bit here about context so that we understand what Paul is trying to communicate. And by the way, he's not just talking to Timothy. I'll dig a little bit deeper there in just a second. This is really a message to the whole church. But he is speaking also in in some ways specifically to this young brother in the Lord, this young minister in the Lord, this protege, this mentee, this coachee, whatever we can call him. Paul and Timothy had a very special bond. First and second Timothy and Titus, they comprise a, a series of letters most commonly known to in the scholarly world as the pastoral epistles the pastoral epistles, and the letters provide a framework for ministry and for church structure, specifically dealing with things like the desired characteristics of elders or deacons and ministers. Paul does draw uh, draw some lines in the sand in these letters regarding such ideas as the truth and the faith and sound teaching. And these letters are timeless in very, very many ways. Um, But also the original audience, well, they faced some heresies that they were dealing with, some challenges in their local churches. Not exactly sure about the origins of some of these heresies, but they were very real. And Paul was preparing these young men to face them. The theology of these letters, a mistake that we can easily make is to diminish them to a series of checklists. I think that's a mistake. 
That's not what they're designed, how they are designed to function. Uh, it's not about, okay, we're covering our necessary basis. We're good with God. That's not what Paul has in mind here, I don't think. I think they reflect deep theological truths related to faithfulness and godliness and orderliness, etc., etc., in the midst of a very suspicious and non-Christian culture. Sound familiar? Okay. So, the timeliness of these letters, it's quite profound for us. The letters reveal two pathways before mankind, one that is steeped in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 2, 1, and another that is within the trap of the devil, 2 Timothy 2, 26. The letters are uh, written by Paul, most Scholars who have a very, very high view of Scripture assert that to be the case, and I believe it to be true. I do like this quote from James Dunn, who noted in the New Interpreter's Bible the following. He said, the letters were not intended for the eyes and ears of Timothy and Titus alone. The plural form of the final you in each case indicates that these letters were intended to be read to the church as a whole, and therefore to function as manuals of discipline for the benefit of the whole congregation or congregations to which they were distributed. So that's a little bit of a background about these letters, and uh, we don't have time today to thoroughly review all three, and, uh, but in light of the impending arrival of your new preaching minister, Jeremy Gills, and his family, I wanted to dive into the passage we read earlier for several reasons. One, because the message of this passage is for the entire church. Okay, that's reason number one. Second, as a minister, I just want to offer a few thoughts um, to... Um, kind of set you up for and set your next minister up for some long-term success, not just within his ministry here, but also within the community and introducing him to people and, and uh, building some bridges in that context. And third, uh, we rarely process preaching in theological terms. Um, and so at least for a few minutes this morning and in some very broad brushstrokes, I want to paint a picture of the the challenges of ministry in today's culture and process the importance of we as a very critical part of the uh, successful ministry formula. So let's turn our attention back to the text. So on all the things that Paul could have mentioned first to his young apprentice in this section, he writes, and I just absolutely love this, of all the things he could have mentioned, he says, preach the word. Preach the word. Amen. And that will be Jeremy's primary role here, right? Man, we're all in agreement on that. <laughs> he is going, you just hired him as your preaching minister, right? So, so that will be his primary call, will be to be in the word and to craft messages from the word and to not just to speak to what happened then, but to 
how what happened then and then the, the insights of then and the commandments, how all of that relates to where we are right now as we are about the purpose of being kingdom people. The word here is a summary. Paul, I think, simultaneously means several things when he uses the term word. I think he's talking about the word of God. I think he's talking about the word of truth. I think he's talking about the sure word, the certain word. I think he's talking about the gospel. So there's a lot of different ways to approach what he's saying. And he tells Timothy, or he says, Timothy, be prepared. And I think he means that in the, uh, the sense of stand by or be, uh, be ready, be on hand for opportunities and even crises as they develop. Uh, if it's an opportune time or not, Timothy, you got to be ready. You got to be ready. And I want to know here that two bookends are essential to being prepared. Paul lists these here. One is great patience. Anybody ever worked with people? Have you learned you got to exercise great patience sometimes? Okay? It's true in the context of ministry. Young ministers especially, you're going to have to be patient because people act like what? People. People. We can't help ourselves sometimes, right? But one of the ways that we learn to be people of God is through not just receiving instruction from the Word, but learning to live that out in the context of community and in the context of choosing to be people of good news through careful instruction. This is extremely important for modern believers to grasp. Since our culture now very closely resembles the culture in which Timothy is encouraged to share good news. Paul uses another phrase here, this idea of being prepared. And in many ways, I, I think it's just simply being open to God working in our lives with opportunities that may be unique to us. You all are in very different professions. Some of you are in very different neighborhoods. The list could go on and on and on. But God has given us opportunities to just be prepared. And there's an individual charge here. Timothy, you be prepared to be the hands and feet of Jesus as you're in and out of various contexts and situations. But there's also a collective charge here. You, the church, be prepared to be the hands and feet of Jesus as I move you in and out of different opportunities, the Lord says. Some additional language that's listed here is uh, we see words like uh, correct and rebuke and encourage. Um, these are not just activities that occur in preaching ministry, but they are quite central to preaching ministry. And by the way, these actions are not just limited to the preacher, nor are they just limited to sermons. Sometimes we need to correct one another. Sometimes we need to rebuke one another. But we also have times we need to encourage one another. And if we're just relying on one individual in the church to carry that load or a couple or a handful of individuals, oh, we, we kind of miss the mark, I think, of great opportunities to be the body of Christ. So when are these actions 
We see these actions when they are taken, they, they involve, here's our words again, great patience and careful instruction. Why? Why? Because the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. I think, in some ways, this is a head nod toward what would ultimately develop in cultures all throughout the world, and it is this phenomenon of consumer Christianity. And that is, I will hang in there with you as long as I like what I'm seeing, or as long as I like what I'm hearing, but if I don't, then I'm gone. And I think that may be one of the greatest tragedies that the church has experienced in the last many, many decades. Because if that's what we reduce God to, what works best for me, wow, may the Lord have mercy on us, right? Sound doctrine is an intriguing phrase here. Um, it is also not a process. Sound doctrine is not a process of reducing God or reducing His Word to a list of do's and don'ts. Sound doctrine basically means healthy teaching or life-giving teaching that has the power to move people beyond hearing what they want to hear to believing God's Word and then living it out. So it's a very important and very powerful phrase. Recognize that the arrival of Jeremy and Tammy and their family provides a consistent opportunity to expose people to life-giving teaching that leads to kingdom living. God's about to give you this amazing opportunity and it's just so easy. This is some of the lowest hanging fruit. You as a church will have opportunity to reach out and pick over the next many, many months, possibly even years. Hey, we got a brand new preacher. Come to church with me. Meet this guy. Come see his family. All 23 of them, right? Or how? I mean, there's a, there's a whole bunch there. So, you know, you're going to have an opportunity. You're going to have an opportunity to meet this new brother and listen to him. Oh, you're really going really to love him, I think. You're going to... So God's just given you this opportunity to enter this new chapter in an amazing and, and quite frankly, fun uh, and life-giving ways. I want to encourage you to recognize the importance of praying for Jeremy and his family, loving on them, being open with them, and rejoicing with them as God is glorified um, among you as the Mesa Church. Paul says, and I just think this is so, so powerful. But you, keep your head in all situations. Wow. If we just stopped right there. <laughs> How different would things be if all of us would embrace that counsel? Just keep your head. Keep your head. You know, one of the most powerful things we can do is take a breath. You know that, right? And there's different ways that that's expressed, by the way. Uh, I don't know if someone brings something to you and you're taking a breath kind of silently like, okay, 
I'm ready to, ready to have this conversation. Or you can do the heavy sigh. <sighs> okay. And both of, those, that's, both of those are taking a deep breath, right? One might communicate a little more lovingly than the other, so just kind of be careful how you take that breath. But keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Endure hardship. You know, we live in a time where we have an instant everything, right? An instant everything. So as soon as something happens, it's problematic. We almost immediately want to look for a solution, right? Sometimes one of the most powerful ways to grow is to just hang in there in the hardship for a little while. God, what are you trying to teach me here? What are you trying to teach me here? When the caterpillar goes in to the chrysalis and gets to that point where it is trying to emerge and the struggle is fierce, what happens if you cut open the chrysalis on the caterpillar's behalf? Do you know what happens? It dies. It dies. It is in the struggle. It is in the struggle that it is reborn. And I think sometimes we rush so quickly or we want to rush so quickly through our pain. Maybe that's not always the best thing. Maybe sometimes it's better to ask questions. Lord, what do you want us to learn here? What do you want us to understand? You know, it's those who wait on the Lord who renew their strength, not those who rush the Lord who renew their strength. Do the work of an evangelist, Paul writes. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. You know, keeping your head in all situations, that's excellent advice for all of us. Hardships are inevitably going to come. I believe our teenagers and our 20-somethings are about to see things as a result of what's happening over in Ukraine right now. They've been in a fairly protected bubble for the last several years even able to escape into a virtual world if you want to for as long as you want to. But church, it's about to get real in a lot of ways. And so to my teen friends and to my 20-somethings, lean into the wisdom and to the maturity of the older brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm encouraging you, please listen to them. Watch what they model. Trust their counsel. Hardships are going to come. Satan always wants to destroy a good work. Satan is always about discouragement. Work and duties here sound quite regimented, but when we read them in the greater context, they really are just fruit of who we are in Christ Jesus. And in the context of preaching ministry, all of you have borne this fruit by prayerfully participating in the calling process. This wasn't just an elder decision. It wasn't just a search team decision. It's a church decision. And praise God for that. So if we think about this text, just a handful of reflections from personal experience. I've been in ministry now for about 30 years collectively, and so just a few thoughts I want to run your way today. Preaching ministry can be quite lonely. It can be. 
I visited with a minister friend of mine. This was several years ago. He preached for a church of about 1,200 people. And I asked him one day. We actually went out and played golf together. And I said, hey, who are some of your best friends here? And he stopped for a minute and he paused. And he thought, you know, I, I really don't have any. You've been to the church for like 20 years. I was like, I think that may be one of the saddest things I've ever heard. Right? But it can be lonely. And one of the reasons for that is because the expectations of our preaching ministers are so high. Please don't try to put your preaching minister on a pedestal. Okay? Because um, it's a pretty lonely place to be. It's also easier to hit somebody with a rock when they're standing up on a pedestal, okay? Uh, or to try to knock them down. It can be lonely, but it doesn't have to be. Assumptions can also hinder relationships. I don't know how many times in all my years in ministry I've heard this phrase, well, I know you are so busy. Let me just, let me just dispel something right here. Yeah, there's a lot of work in ministry, but ministers go into ministry almost all of the time because they love people. Okay? So when you just when you when you assume, well, I know he's so busy and I don't want to bother, church, bother, okay? Pick up the phone, text, call. Hey, I'd love to get together for coffee. Hey, we'd love to have you over to our house. Hey, we're gonna make this trip up to the top of this mountain. You guys wanna ride up with us this this Sunday. Whatever it is, whatever it is. Don't assume that your minister is going to be so busy that he doesn't want to engage you. If he can't get together this week, guess what? He will probably say, yeah, I can't get together this week, but what about next week? So don't make assumptions that can hinder relationships. Prayer also is very, very critical, but so is affirmation. I hope and I pray that you are going to love on this family well. I saw you embracing last week. I saw you smiling. I saw you encouraging them. Please, please, please keep that up. I had to change this last point because the way that I first uh, had written it, it didn't make sense given our COVID world. I first had just written, refuse to wear masks. And I thought, okay, I can't say that. So let me taper this a little bit. Refuse to wear emotional masks. Refuse to wear spiritual masks. And don't ask your preacher to wear one. Don't ask him to pretend to be somebody that he's not. I need you, brother, to have this skill set or this insight or this opinion because that makes me feel better. Okay, God has uniquely wired him and equipped him to have his own understandings and his own insights just like he equipped you to have your own understandings and your own insights. But when we put that together, God does amazing things. So we give him the glory for that. On September, uh, February, February the 10th, I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter. I just happened to open up my Twitter feed and was just scrolling. On February the 10th, uh, I read this tweet from a young minister, and he just uh, tweeted out prayers. 
for complicated emotions tomorrow and a fresh start in the Los Angeles area and for God's providence in providing safe relationships where we can heal and try loving again. Dozens of people had responded to this tweet and the, the thread was just growing longer and longer and longer as story after story after story of how various individuals had started a new ministry with great expectation were crushed by the weight of ministry. Unrealistic expectations, consumer Christianity, and so much more. But what if, what if the Mesa Church of Christ has a very different story to tell five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. That's the story I want to hear. That a church welcomed this young man into its fellowship and his family and loved them well and gave him the opportunity to love the church well. And the church just wasn't blessed. But many people in this and surrounding communities came to know the Lord. When you get together with Jeremy, individually and collectively, I just want to ask you to do a couple of things. First, don't speak a different language when you're talking to your preacher. And here's what I mean by that. Don't go into pious mode all of a sudden, right? Um, be yourselves, be yourselves, scars and all, be yourselves. I don't know if you know this or not, every single person in this room this morning is radically created, and every single person in this room this morning is radically flawed. It's just the nature of humanity. But praise be to God, we have a Savior who sets all things right with our Father. And so when we are together, truly, just be yourselves. God's going to do great things here. Another thing I want to counsel you in is always remember the pronoun us. Always remember the pronoun we is much, much more powerful than the pronoun I. I love this tweet. I'm on a Twitter kick today <laughs> uh, from Dr. Michael Zweigel. He tweeted this out a few months back. Theology 101, one of the greatest needs for Christians is to move from I go to and I worship at to I'm a member of and I serve with. And I think he's on to something here. We have an opportunity to be in this together as members, plural, of a body, as members who are serving with other people. And in that context, again, I think God can do some great things. I want to wrap up this morning with some false narratives, and I want to make sure that we commit to set these false narratives to truth, to true narratives. Uh, here are a couple of false narratives concerning ministers. False narrative number one, they do not struggle with temptation. I can assure you ministers struggle with temptation. Okay? 
And it may not be temptation in the classical sense, although many, many times it is, but it could be the temptation of giving into weariness or giving up because of the weight of ministry. But temptation is very real for your ministers, just as it is very real to every other person sitting in the pew. That's where the power of prayer comes in, for the prayer of openness, honesty comes in. So know that any minister you have ever had on staff, have on staff, or will have on staff, they're going to struggle with temptation. We as the body of Christ can help them through that power of our prayers and through our encouragement. False narrative number two, they know everything about the Bible. I can assure you, your ministers do not know everything about the Bible, okay? They should know a lot about the Bible. I think that's pretty important. But they are also still growing. They are also still learning. Can some of you in your 80s help testify right now you're still learning? Okay, praise the Lord, right? Well, guess what? Your ministers are still learning too. They're going to be grounded in consistent truth and consistent sound doctrine, consistent orthodoxy. Yes, absolutely. But there are going to be times you're going to need to give them some grace. And if you ask about one particular reference in the Bible or something you're studying, and they go, you know what? I don't have any idea. Why don't we sit down and study that together? Instead of going, well, humph, why did we hire that guy? He didn't know anything about this obscure passage that I just brought up out of nowhere. Why don't you embrace it as an opportunity to say, praise God. We got an opportunity to learn something together here. You hear the difference? You hear the difference? Another false narrative. They can quickly repair what's taken years to destroy. Okay? Okay. Satan gets into the cracks and crevices of our lives. Satan can get in between relationships. You got a Savior, and his name's not Jeremy. His name is Jesus. And while your brother will be able to come alongside you and help you uh, and pray with you and process with you and provide some spiritual counsel and and be able to bless and encourage you through the Word of God, uh, change isn't going to happen overnight. Restoration may not happen overnight. Healing may not happen overnight. But that's okay. It's okay. Don't give up. Hang in there together. Finally, this narrative, their families love preacher jokes. I could assure you that is not true. How would you feel if the preacher showed up at your place of work and just started cracking jokes about you and your profession, okay? So just kind of keep that one in mind. Keep the jokes to a minimum. So how do we overcome these false narratives? A couple of things. We'll close. One of the primary ways we do this is by being people who commit to growing in Christ and serving in love. That should sound very familiar to you by now. It is your mission as a congregation. When you roll up your sleeves together and you're serving in love and you're doing that side by side with any of your ministers, and by the way, let me me make an observation here. Many, many years ago, I visited a church up in Connecticut, Bridgetown, if I remember correctly, was the name of the beautiful city. 
And I walked up, and we had just gotten off the bus and went to this little church, and a couple of folks were coming out to greet us. And I, I looked at one of the first brothers that I met, and I asked this question. I think I was like 20, 21 maybe. I said, are you the minister? And I will never forget this as long as I live. I said, are you the minister? And this was his response. One of many. One of many. Isn't that beautiful? All of us. All of us, right? The body of Christ equipped thoroughly for every good service. So when we serve together, powerful things happen in Jesus' name. Also, by being people who engage our community in equipping for life through the power of the gospel, these are going to help us not just overcome these false narratives that we've talked about this morning, but to live in truth of what we see this morning from the Word of God as we look at Paul's counsel to his young protege, Timothy. Next week, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time focusing next Sunday morning on dealing with naysayers, okay? And so that'll be fun, won't it? We'll have a good time with that one. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that and that you've got a glass half full opportunity or a glass, uh, you know, half empty opportunity before you as you think about the future. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be uh, quite Pollyanna next Sunday because I'm already seeing the goodness uh, relationally in this place. And I can't wait to see how God will build on that in the future. Hey, I want us to pray this morning. A little bit of an unusual way to end our message, but I want us to pray this morning. After this prayer, after we say amen, uh, we're going to stand together. We're going to sing a song together. If you want to be baptized this morning, if you need prayer this morning, if you want to share good news with the shepherds that need to be shared with the body this morning, whatever's on your heart, a couple of our elders will be down front and be more than happy to uh, meet with you, pray with you. Uh, counsel with you as we close our time together. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll stand and we'll sing. God, we thank you for the morning, an opportunity to sit together as the body of Christ, to commune together, to share a time together, singing and praising your name, to worship, Father, uh, to be in the Word. Thank you, Lord for this amazing gift of your word and how it can form and shape us if we will just let it. So, Father, give us a burden today to understand what it is that you want us to know and then, Lord, more importantly, to put it into practice. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.